back in the 80s, uh, there was this little toy called a Rubik's Cube, which was more than a toy. It was like a mental challenge. It spins around and uh, the mixes the colors up. And the idea is to get every color on one side all the way through. You guys remember those things? Yeah. This was all messed up first service. I grabbed it out of my son's room. Nobody in the house knows how to fix it. A friend of mine, Carl Frederick, if you know him, this won't surprise you. Uh, he says, do you mind if I go fix that for you? And so I, it was sitting in the front row. Literally, he left the Sunday school classroom, and less than three minutes later, he comes back. He ran over here, fixed it, and ran back to the Sunday school class. Less than three minutes, he fixed it. My good friend, Carl Frederick. Uh, University of Michigan mechanical engineering students created a 1,500-pound Rubik's Cube out of aluminum. And they say it's like one of the hardest things to fix because not only do you have to know how to twist it, but it's physically awkward to spin it around. Leave it to the University of Michigan to spend four years creating problems. <laughs> yes. OH. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, so they spent four years. The students that actually started it had to pass it down to future students. They created this huge Rubik's Cube, and we can have fun talking about it, making problems on purpose. But really, when you encounter lots of problems, complicating problems, complicated ones that tend to stack on top of another, they never come one at a time, do they? Uh, it can be confusing. It can generate a lot of emotional stress. And that emotional stress sometimes makes it difficult to think. And that pressure and those difficulties can really build a sense of desperation. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What do we do when we find ourselves in a place of desperation? where the pressure is on and it doesn't feel like there's any place to go, what do we do? We're going to take a look at, at David. We're going to take a look at King Saul. It's, we're nearing the end of Saul's life. And both men handle the pressures of desperation differently. And I believe as we take a look at those, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 27, we're going to go through chapter 30. As we look at how they handle desperate straits, I think we're going to find out a way that we can. Now, this is what I want you to keep in mind this morning. Some of you here this morning might feel the pressure of desperation. You know, I don't know if it's a relationship that's falling apart that you are struggling to maintain in your family, uh, if it's a job or financial situation, if it's a direction in life that you need to choose, you don't know whether to go this way or that way, and time is not on your side. Why is it always? Time just adds a whole nother element to the desperation. If you're in a situation where the best choice you have doesn't seem like a good choice, and no choice is not an option, and you're feeling desperate today, I pray that God's word would help you. If you're not in that situation today, I guarantee you that there's somebody in your life that is. Somebody who's feeling desperate. And I hope that as we watch David and as we watch Saul, that you will be able to help someone who's feeling desperate. That you will feel equipped by God's word and his spirit to maybe help somebody through that. So let's take a look at desperation and what does God say about that. Before we look at 1 Samuel 27, let's pray and ask God to bless us as we look at his word. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come together to worship your name. And all of that worship was just making it affirmed, just affirming it in my heart and mind that you bring victory, that you have a hope and a way out when we can't see it. And so I pray for your children this morning, for your church this morning, that if there's anyone here in with their backs up against the corner, Father, that you would show them how to trust you when they're desperate. And Father, if there's anyone here who knows someone in desperate straits, Father, that you would equip us, that we might be people that give hope to others. And so bless us as we look at your word to that end this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Multiple different ways that difficulties can cause desperation. Let's take a look first at David's situation. As we look at David in 1 Samuel chapter 27, we're going to see the pressures and the difficulties, the pressures and the difficulties of desperate straits. Uh, 1 Samuel 27 verse 1, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. And then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. We've been looking at David's life, so we've watched as he's tried to run from the king of Israel. Uh, The king of Israel is Saul. David has been anointed king. He knows he's the next guy that God has called him to that spot. But the first king is still alive and hunting him down like a dog. Chasing him all over the country. He's tried to uh, leave the country and he's dropped his family off. If you remember that, God said, no, I want you back. I have called you back to, called you to Israel. You're going to stay in Israel. So he's living in caves. He's tried once before to go over to the Philistines. Maybe they'll protect me and Saul won't be able to hunt me down. And they were going to kill him because they saw David as their enemy. I mean, he is an Israelite, so he couldn't do that. His back's up against the wall. Everything he's tried has failed. He's completely desperate, and he comes to this place in 1 Samuel 27, first verse, where he just says, I'm going to have to go back to the Philistines, or else I'm going to be killed. He's had a couple of very narrow escapes, and uh, he just, this is the only way. Here's the definition, I think, of desperation. When David says, there is nothing better for me. You know you're in a desperate strait when what you're considering doing doesn't feel good or right. But it's the only thing you got. It feels like the only option you have is this, and you don't like it. Maybe you don't like it because it has a a scent of immorality. Maybe you don't like it because you can see where it's going to hurt somebody, uh, or it's just not going to end well. But you just, there is nothing else for me but just to do this see that's that's the definition of of desperation and and we know what that's like commentators disagree with whether this decision by david was a good and right decision or not some commentators think that as he went down to the Philistine territory, he met up with that same king that he, was, that he had gone to before, King Achish. And this is the guy that had driven him out before. Remember, he pretended he was crazy to escape? Well, now it's been years later, and it's obvious to everyone that Saul is trying to kill David. 
And so King Achish this time receives David. And he actually gives David a city, Ziklag. And commentators are trying to decide, is this, is this what the Lord wanted or is this not? On, on, against David, as you look at this chapter, God's name is never mentioned in chapter 27. It's almost as if he's absent from the decision-making process because his name is never mentioned. So is David doing the right thing or not? On David's behalf, there are some good things happening. Let, let's take a look at that real quick. First uh, Samuel 27, verse 8. It says, Now David and his men went up from Ziklag, where, where they were stationed now, and they made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. There were multiple people living in the land. There were Philistines, Amalekites, Geshurites, all these different people. So what David would do is he would send raids out, and he would take over and conquer the enemies of Israel. He was serving Judah, which was the area to the south there of Israel. He was serving them and protecting them by going in and attacking their enemies and then leaving again. And so you might say, well, this is a positive thing. David is making the right choice. But if you continue to look at what he's doing, uh, maybe it starts getting a little ethically cloudy. Verse 10, when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, now this is a lie, against the Negev of Judah. In other words, I'm attacking Israelites. Or against the Negev of Jeramalites. Again, Israelites. Or against the Negev of the Kenites. Again, Israelites. He was lying to the king saying, I'm attacking my own people so the king would still let him live. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, this is what David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. Other places tell us this has been going on for almost a year. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. David's got himself in this situation where he's lying. You know, and commentators disagree. Well, in time of war, it's okay to lie and deceive. And others are saying, no, David's crossing the line. He's got himself in a situation where if I tell the truth, the king of the Philistines will kill me. So I will lie. If I decide not to live here and I just go back to Israel, then the king of Israel will kill me. So he's left himself in a position, I think, that you know, is ethically questionable. He's feeling stuck. And then it gets worse. Chapter 28, first two verses. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And David said to Achish, because he didn't have an option, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. David's got himself in the situation now. He's not Going to, he's, he's in a situation where he's going to have to kill Israelites, going to have to kill the, his own people. He's been anointed the king of the Israelites, but now the Philistines are at war, and King Achish says, David, you come with me. You're going to help me kill Israelites. 
And David can say, well, okay, no, never mind. <laughs> Psych, I fooled you. I really and then he would be killed. Or he could run away and Saul could kill him. Or he could stay with King Achish and kill his own people. It's really bad. Really bad. And now the story shifts. It leaves David in that difficult predicament. And it shifts to Saul. And what we're going to do is we're going to find out that Saul is also desperate. So we've seen the pressures and the difficulties of desperate straits. Now what I want us to watch is how desperation drives Saul, King Saul, to error. He's in a difficult situation. The pressure is on. And he chooses to do something that's wrong. You know, David was in the midst of some moral questioning. Saul just is driven to error. 1 Samuel 28 Starting in verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, remember they were gathering for war, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Saul was in political danger because his nation was at war. He was in physical danger because he could be killed during that war. And most of all, worst of all, he's in spiritual danger because God is silent. He believes he's been anointed to rule over God's people. He's in trouble. He seeks God, and God says nothing. Now, I was just this week talking to a man in, uh, in my office who is going, a Christian man, a believer, who's going, a strong believer, who's going through layers of difficulties that involve grief and concern and all kinds of things piled up. And we talked about the fact that it feels like God is absent. He knows in his head that God is there. He has even counseled other people the verses that I used to help him, he says, I've been using those verses to help other people. But it still feels like God is silent to me. And maybe you've had those times where you pray and it feels like the prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. You've had times in the past where you felt really close to God, but it doesn't feel that way right now. It feels like he's just gone. And walking by faith at those times can be very difficult. It can make you desperate. It can drive you into error. It can drive you to do things that you never would have thought you would have ever done. And then you find yourself in them. This is exactly what happened to Saul. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servant, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium. That I may go, he didn't want a large or a small, he wanted, no. Uh, a medium is a woman who talks to the dead, usually channels a spirit, okay. So, uh, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, we know of a medium at Endor. In the past, in other places in the chapter, it tells us that Saul had driven the mediums and the necromancers out of the kingdom, or at least driven them underground. 
Leviticus 19.31 teaches God's people not to go to mediums or necromancers. Necromancer means someone who calls upon the dead. It is an occult practice that God tells us we should not do. He says, if you want to know something, you come to me. You don't go and try to speak to the dead. That's an abomination to me. You don't do that. And so Saul, at one time, at one time, he had decided what kind of a person he was going to be, and he was going to follow the Lord, and so he drove the mediums and the necromancers underground or out. But now this desperate situation has driven him to become something he never wanted to be. And, and maybe for you it is the occult. Maybe for you it's alcohol. My dad was an alcoholic. And I had told myself I would never do this. And yet when the times come, now you're your dad. Yeah, drugs. My mom was a drug user and I told myself I will never do that to my kids. And then the pressures come and you're becoming something you had decided you would never be. Sexual immorality. I had made a vow that I would stay true to my spouse. And yet under all these pressures, you start responding incorrectly to people that you work with. You find yourself in sexual immorality. See, this is what desperation can do if we're not careful can turn us into something we never wanted to be. Maybe it's not some grave sin. Maybe it's just my desperation and my circumstances have called me, has caused me to pull back, to kind of be cold. I, I'm not going to involve myself with other people anymore. But you remember that time when you were walking with the Lord and you were serving other people and they came to you because you were full of joy and you were full of wisdom and, and you were encouraging to people, but now you've become something you didn't want to be. And the desperation has shaped you in a way that you wish it hadn't shaped you. This is Saul. Saul falling into error because of desperation. And so the witch of Endor, I don't understand how she does this. The witch of Endor actually summons Samuel from the grave. You remember Samuel, that was the prophet that had actually anointed Saul as king years ago. And, and Samuel the prophet died back in chapter 25. And so Saul the king is asking for Samuel to give him advice since God isn't talking to him. Verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and he put on other garments and he went. He did this because he knew if he was the king, the medium wouldn't, wouldn't do it. I mean, as king, you are policeman, you're sheriff, you're the judge, you're the executioner. You have the right to judge people for, and kill them for doing wrong. And the law of the land is you don't go to mediums. So he has to disguise himself. So the woman doesn't know that he has the power to punish her for this. So Paul, Saul disguised himself and he put on other garments and he went. He and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Verse 11. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Now I don't know what happened between verse 11 and verse 12. Some people say she really didn't call up Samuel's spirit, that it was a demon pretending to be his spirit. I don't know. All I know is that in verse 12, when 
the woman saw Samuel, the prophet, who was dead. When she saw him, she cried out with a loud voice. And something about seeing this uh, dead man rise, she turns to Saul and says, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. I don't know how she knew that he was really the king. But the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? Tell me what you see. And the woman said to Saul, I see like a God coming up out of the earth. And so Samuel, the vision, the man raised from the dead, said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me, bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me, and he answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. So therefore I have summoned you, Tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me in the land of the dead. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. This is not good news. Not good at all. You're going to die. Your sons are going to die. Your dynasty is over. David's going to be king. All of Israel is going to be conquered by its enemy, the Philistines. And this is my judgment on you. Now, this is what's going to be so important for us as Christians as we read this story. I have spoken to believers who in this time of desperation have interpreted their situation to mean that God is judging them. Now, Jesus, believer, Jesus is your propitiation. That is a religious word that means he absorbs the wrath of God and takes it upon himself and, and drinks it all up. The Bible describes God's wrath as being in a cup or a chalice. And, and you know, like, if you drink really badly filtered coffee, there's like the dregs on the bottom, kind of the unfiltered stuff that's a little thicker and yucky. And it describes Jesus as our propitiation drinking the wrath of God down to its dregs so that there's nothing left, even the yucky stuff at the bottom. The cup is clean. Jesus has taken it all. The propitiation is complete. You see, Samuel is saying, you have become the enemy of the Lord, and the Lord has become your enemy. That is not true for Christians. While we were yet enemies, Jesus died for us. This is the good news. Amen. When we feel desperate, do not begin to change your opinion of God. He's not your enemy just because you're living in troubled days. He is who you turn to in troubled days. Now, there are times when he disciplines. But don't twist your understanding of the character of God 
in times of desperation. That's when you're going to fall into error. Well, God's not watching. God's not attentive. God doesn't care. God is gone. These are all lies that are easy to believe. God is not your enemy. Jesus is your propitiation. He is the overseer and shepherd of your soul. He made you and he guides you and he protects you and he feeds you. And so when things are going crazy, don't fall into error like Saul did. He is our advocate. Romans 8 says, or 1 John 2 says that Jesus is our advocate. Romans 8 says, no one can bring a charge against us because Jesus is the prosecuting attorney and he's on our side. And so he won't prosecute us in the court of God because he's already paid the penalty for us. Saul, on the other hand, did not have this relationship with God. Desperate straits drove him to error. Now, if you remember, we left David kind of at a cliffhanger, all right? We don't have time to read 1 Samuel 29, so I'm going to leave you hanging. I'm going to make you read 1 Samuel 29 to figure out how David escapes from that catch-22. Remember, you either stay with me and kill Israelites, or I kill you. You remember that one? Okay? So we're going to leave that aside. I need to go to 1 Samuel 30. So you're going to have to read 1 Samuel 29 on your own and find out, yeah, find out how he escapes. But in 1 Samuel 30 we're going to see that where Saul was driven to error, David is driven to the Lord. That desperate straits, desperation, drives David to the Lord instead of to error. Now, this is where I want you to pay attention. Hopefully, you've been paying attention already. But if you are in a place of desperation, David's going to show us three steps to take when we're desperate. If you know someone who's desperate, someone in your family, someone that you work with, a friend of yours, someone close, and, and you're at a loss, I don't know what to tell them, I don't know what kind of advice to give them, this is going to help you right here. What David does, the three steps that David takes are going to be our steps to getting out of desperate situations for ourselves or what we can help someone else get out of desperate states, straits. So let's take a look at it. First Samuel Chapter 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, Ziklag was the city where he was stationed. He had left with his men to kind of fight that war with the Philistines against Israel. But First uh, Samuel 29 tells us how we got out of that. So now he's going back to his town. And when David and his men come to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev. That's just a word that means the southern territory. And against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and they went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. 
verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. David's family had been taken. All of his belongings had been taken. His town was burned down. And now his men were turning against him. These fighting men, these brave warriors, had exhausted themselves from weeping. There was only a couple hundred of them. And everything they had was gone. Have you ever had that happen? You, they just escaped a difficulty. They're just wiping the sweat from their brow. Whew, that was a close one. You know, maybe they're even kind of joking with each other. Wow, the Lord really got us out of that one. And then as they crest the hill, they see the smoke on the horizon. And there's a pit in their stomach. Because they know what that smoke means. They're men of war. They know what that means. They smell their town. And they run and they get there. And everything's gone. And they exhaust themselves from crying. And then they start looking at David. Because you need somebody to blame, right? Your life just bottomed out. And you're falling. And they decide they're going to stone their leader, David. David's in de desperate straits now. These, his men were bitter in soul. But he takes three steps. Three steps David takes in this time of desperation. Number one, he strengthens himself in the Lord. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The first thing we need to do when we are desperate is we need to strengthen our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know in my natural uh, response to difficulties is I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to spend more time trying to take care of these problems. And what it does is it actually just drains you of your power, of your emotional energy. And it adds to the desperation because as you work harder, it just feels like things are getting worse instead of better. And it's because you have not strengthened yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Our inner person needs strength. Where does that come from? It comes from the maker of our inner person. He wants to strengthen us. How does he strengthen us? Does he strengthen us by just like giving us magic little fairy dust? He strengthens us by coming down and strengthening the relationship. Strengthening yourself in the Lord means that you spend time with Jesus. You strengthen your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is a, a real person. God, a person who wants to know you and wants you to know him. And strengthening yourself in the Lord means that I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to take something and discard it, and in its place, I'm going to put my relationship with the Lord. What does that sound like? Sounds like the 40 days of fasting that we've been doing. I'm going to take breakfast and remove it from my schedule, and in its place, I'm going to read the Bible, 
I'm going to pray. I'm going to give Jesus my problems. I'm going to worship him. See, I'm going to build my relationship. I'm going to find my strength in Jesus. That's what Bill Benjamin was talking about. He was starting to feel dry. His life had been filled up with not bad things, but just busy things. And our 40 days of prayer have helped him to take some things away so that he could strengthen himself in the Lord. Wow, how important is this? It, it reminds me of our memory verse for this month, for February. It's Proverbs 18.10. Let's say it together. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Proverbs 18.10. I mean, that's what we most want, right? When we're squeezed and desperate, we, we most want, I need to feel safe. I need the assurance that everything is going to be okay. I don't care if it's hard. I just want it to be okay. I just want to know that what I'm doing is going to, is going to create a result that I need. I need the security and the safety of knowing it's going to be okay in the end. I need safety the name of the lord is a strong tower and the righteous person runs into that name and is safe and is safe maybe even in the midst of your difficulties and i believe this strengthening yourself in the lord is centered on god's word on god's word now, for some of us, it's not a habitual thing. We're not super comfortable with God's word. It's gigantic. It's 66 different books. And I don't understand it very well. And I don't even know where to start. I've started in the book of Genesis 15 times over the last 15 years. And I've never gotten past Exodus. And I've just given up on trying to read the book. So if you're in a desperate spot, if a friend of yours is in a desperate spot or a family member, just a suggestion, just a suggestion. I don't know if it'll work for you or not. But if you're going to strengthen yourself in the Lord, turn to the book of Luke. It's about Jesus. If you, want, if you need a clearer picture of Jesus, go to one of the Gospels. Luke is a good one. John is a good one. Jesus is very real feeling in the book of Luke kind of emphasizes his humanity, how he's tired and he needs to rest, how he prays and finds strength from God, his miracles and his teachings. Luke is a great way to start if you're feeling desperate. Another one might be the book of Ephesians. It's a shorter book, so you might handle that one differently. You're in a desperate spot. A friend of yours is in a desperate spot. Ephesians, six chapters. You can sit down and read all of it in one sitting if you skip a meal and read it instead. And maybe you do that for weeks. You just read the book all the way through. Or maybe you say, you read it all the way through and then you say, I'm gonna just take every one paragraph at a time. And I'm gonna spend a week on just this paragraph. Jesus, show me yourself. Ephesians talks about the fullness of God in chapter three. Talks about the fullness of Christ in chapter four. Talks about the fullness of the spirit in chapter five. Great place to start if you're feeling desperate and you're not quite sure where to go. Strengthening yourself in the Lord happens when you read his word. 
and you get a clearer picture of him. So just some, some, maybe some guidance for you on that. Secondly, after you strengthen yourself in the Lord, second step that David took in his time of desperation is he inquired of the Lord. Verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord. He asked and he said, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. I believe that the clearest way that God speaks Sorry to keep hitting the same note. The clearest way that God speaks is not through prayer, but through his word. Too many times we pray and we get an internal impression and we think that that's God speaking. And it might just be us speaking. But God's word is very clear. And so I would suggest that you press on in your Bible reading talk to other believers who are also strong in their walk with the Lord, who know the word. The clearest way he speaks is through his word. Check it with godly counsel. The Bible itself says, Paul was talking to Timothy. He says, the word of God is profitable. It is good for teaching. It's good for reproving. It's good for correcting. It's good for training in righteousness. So you're in a desperate time. Lord, what am I doing wrong? The Bible is good for reproving, for reproofing, for, for telling you this is wrong. The Bible is good for that. Lord, how do I fix it? The Bible is good for correcting. The Bible is good for reproving. It's good for correcting. Lord, what do I do from here? The Bible is good for training in righteousness. Do you see that? The Bible is profitable for teaching, for, for reproving, for correcting, and then for training you in righteousness. And so when I ask, Lord, what am I doing wrong? Lord, what do you want me to do? Paul tells us, go to the Word. That's what it's for. That's the usefulness of the Word. And maybe the book of Ephesians would help you with that. And lastly, after I strengthen myself in the Lord, after I make that relationship primary, and after I begin asking the Lord, what do, you want you, what do you want me to do by looking at his word? Lastly, the third step in times of desperation, to find hope in the midst of desperation, the third step is to take action, is to take action. Many of us, at least me, I like to, ready, fire, aim, you know? But I think we need to do these in the right order. David first finds his own personal strength in his relationship with Christ. Then... He inquires of the Lord, and then he takes action. Verse 17, and David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. They fought for over a day, and not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives, nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. He was able to, to act boldly because he had gotten confidence in the Lord. Because he had strengthened his inner person in his relationship with God, he was able to act boldly. He was able to act decisively because he had inquired of the Lord and found out what wisdom was. And so he could be bold and decisive and successful. 
in the midst of desperate straits. Are you feeling desperate? Take some things out of your schedule and put your relationship with Christ back in there. Then begin to ask God, what do you want me to do? And turn to his word to find out. And then just act on what he says. I, I hope that you can take this, build it into your life, or even give it to someone else. Maybe there's someone you know that needs you to pray for them. We're going to close with a prayer from Scripture that I believe reflects exactly what David did here. It's in the book of Ephesians. If, if you've got a friend who's in desperate situations and you're not sure how to pray for them, pray for them according to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Write it down if you have a friend that you need to pray for and you don't know how to pray for him. <clears throat> write it down. Ephesians 1, 16 to 20, that's how you pray for him. God gave it to you right there in the Word. If you are in desperate straits and you need to pray for yourself, this is it, Ephesians 1, 16 to 20. And I want to just pray it right now. I just want to pray it for this church. I want to pray it for you. So if you're desperate, if you're confused, if the pressure is on, I'm going to pray for you right now, straight out of the scriptures. And I do not cease to give thanks for you, brothers and sisters. And I remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Father of glory, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. May your eyes be the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Father, give them hope. Give them knowledge of you open the eyes of their heart that they might be enlightened to know that there is hope and that there is power that the power that raised Christ from the dead is active in their life right now I pray this in Jesus name amen stand for your benediction this morning <clears throat> And now may the Lord of hope give you strength and wisdom and courage and perseverance. And may he use you to bring hope to a desperate world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Hope to see you tonight at 430 back in the Surge Center. God bless you.